Welcome to Oya Christy Miller, uh, US College Admissions Consultant and Specialist. Um, today, we're going to be going through everything there is to know about US colleges, um, the differences between the UK and the US, how to prepare effectively, when to prepare, and everything you need to know uh, to get forward. It should be um, really good, engaging stuff. This. Um, Oya, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, thank you. Um, could I hand over to you just to start with, um, as always, set the scene a um, bit about the, the US education system as a whole um, and the main differences to the UK, please, and I'll get started from there. Uh, yes, of course. So uh, one of the main differences, and I think everyone knows about this, is the fact that the US undergraduate education is a year longer than uh, that. Not in the overall in the UK, obviously, in Scotland, you also have four years, but um, in England, so uh, three versus four. Uh, and the reason why that's the case is because in the US, uh, students are expected to take courses in addition to what they're studying, what, uh, what we call their major. Mm. Um, so whereas in the UK, uh, on the whole, you, you are very um, focused on your own course yeah. and you're only taking, um, uh, you know, modules in your own course. In the US, you're expected to take, in addition to that, courses from other departments. And very often in US universities, you have uh, what they call core requirements. So every student has to take, say, academic writing, or if they're studying sciences, they do have to take social sciences, humanities, etc., which makes for a richer learning environment. And mm. especially at school, if you haven't had the chance to do that before, uh, you know, you are, you're then exposed to a much uh, richer intellectual environment, really, in a way, yeah. um, but less specialized. Uh, let's see, what else... Uh, in the U.S., the other thing that's quite shocking for uh, English students is that you you have continuous assessments, which you know in the U.K. you you can just go to lectures and go to your tutorials, and then at the end just sort of not too much in between, and cram for exams and then uh, have your exams at the end. Whereas so in it's the, potentially more of an intense experience than uh, yeah, very intense experience, learning experience. So you're being continuously assessed. What that means is that you have to turn in homework every week pretty much and then you have exams in between um so there are uh, those are the main main differences other than that uh in the u.s there's more support for undergraduate research that's a big thing okay but if you're interested in uh you know working closely with professors you're you're more able to do that immediately yeah um and uh okay. yeah so Everyone's heard of the top brand names in the US, um, but there are hundreds of great colleges over there. In your opinion, what makes the US education system so uh, world-renowned and acclaimed and desirable for families from, from all corners of the world that they desperately want to go to those few select brand names? Is it the academic stuff, the learning style, or just the, the, well, the all-round experience that people get? It's all of those things, really. I mean... Uh... One of the main differences is that there's such uh, so much competition in the U.S. that uh, these universities have huge endowments, and uh, which then means that they're that they're able to attract academic talent, as well as have big campuses that provide a wealth of experience for students, and um, and that does create for you know a variety of experiences for students. If you're looking for something quite intensely academic, then that's 
Mm. You know, you can find that on these campuses. But in addition to that, uh, what I find to be the case is that their extracurricular opportunities are, again, a lot, um, a lot richer, really. More, more so than the UK. Yeah, more so than the UK. Is that to do with the, the fees that people are paying? Um, so there's more investment in the campuses? Yes, so it has to do with the fees. There's more investment. I mean, that starts with the fees. But in addition to that, you know, over the years, they have really built such huge endowments that they then invest. And uh, it keeps feeding itself, essentially. So donations, fees, et cetera. Yeah. And so just so we're clear for everyone listening, an endowment is effectively the their kind of pot reserve so they can issue bursaries and sub- subsidize investment into the campus. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so... I know it's a common question whenever we get um, new families just starting this journey. Um, they may want to do Oxford, Cambridge or some of the other UK universities. And they say we may do the US as well. Um, when we're starting from the beginning like that, there's some major, major differences between the two application systems. In fact, they're probably totally different, aren't they? So let's go through um, into the meat of the podcast here, really, in terms of what are those main differences um, and how should a student effectively start preparing? Uh, one of the main differences is that the U.S. applications, the applic- if you're going through an application system like Common App, that, that will cap you at 20 universities, which is quite a number. And yeah. I don't recommend anyone doing that. But anyway, you know, I, I have heard of students applying to 25, 30 universities, which I think is completely over the top, but you can do that. Um, the, and those are all individual applications with separate pieces of work? Yes, yeah, so part of it is unified. But other than that, the difference is that every university will ask you for um, probably a personal statement, but on top of that, supplemental essays. So say if you're doing about 10, 10 to 12 university applications, which is fairly standard at this point, you're looking at, at a minimum, about 25 to 30 essays, separate essays. So... You can see where this goes. It's a quite, you know, involved application process when you get to the application bit itself. Um, And then another major difference is that, say, uh, the U.S. expects you to come with uh, fairly, you know, they're not very much into predicted grades. So they will be looking at things like your GCSEs, to some extent your predictors and A-levels. But on top of that, um, they, they do want the results of, uh, SAT exams as well and um, and that's because they basically like to go on something firm mm. rather than predicted uh, but you know that there's a ch- trend towards that changing as well so essays uh, exams and um, and the most important thing is that they want to see a lot of extracurricular activities mm. more so than and the UK side I guess Um, more so than the UK side. And this is a really important point for UK students is that what I've found to be the case is that uh, for US applications, UK students say if they're involved in a number of societies at school, say, you know, they're interested in chemistry, they're involved in chemistry society, biology society, what else would they be doing? They could be um, just kind of attending lectures, listening into things. Mm. They kind of don't think that's enough. They really want to see active involvement. Okay. Um, so for the US, active involvement through creating clubs, uh, doing more hands-on stuff, like, uh, for instance, you know, applying to competitions, 
You've got to be really proactive about it then. You have to be very proactive about it. You need to do things outside of school. Um, You need to have a lot of work experience and internships and then volunteer experience as well. So for UK students, if you don't come with that, you know, diversity of experience, you're Mm. kind of at a disadvantage. I think also just to pick up on what you said before, that the more that you apply for, you probably think that you're spreading your chances and risk but actually you're probably diluting the strength of each individual application. If each one is unique and it loads your work um, pressure, then you're better off focusing on just maybe five or six or seven rather than doing 20. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yes, it's uh, it's very labor intensive. You have to do a lot of writing. Your writing has to be absolutely top notch and express yourself in the best way possible. So as you said, if you're doing, if you're applying to say, you know, 20 or something, um, you you can't reasonably do that. And especially for UK students uh, who are doing A-levels or even those in the IB programs, um, your last year gets quite stressful. You have a lot of it, you know, very high academic expectations at school anyway. To handle that load plus the US application, you know, uh, is is quite a feat. Yeah. And uh, so for that reason, it's, uh, it's much better to keep it to a shorter list that's well chosen. Yeah. So from a British parents and, and students perspective, um, is it possible to do both? Um, a lot of that growing trend of British families looking slightly further as, uh, overseas, can they feasibly do both with the workload of their A-levels, GCSEs, as well as doing all of the UCAS stuff and the US college application? Uh, yes, absolutely they can. And, uh, and, but in order to be successful, the student has to be very, very organised about it and know the deadlines uh start work well in advance of the deadlines but not unreasonably so and uh just progress through the applications in like a you know methodical way essentially yeah so that's probably why the the bit of help comes in very very useful on the u.s side um so let's talk a little bit more about um some of the big differences that you touched on before um from the point of view of a British family going abroad, um, SATs, uh, difference of curriculum, standardised testing, um, starting out on that journey, people are really thrown in at the deep end, not really knowing what's what. Can you take us through what those differences are, what standardised testing is, how to prepare, what it means, uh, and what you need to score? Uh, Absolutely, yes. But one caveat is that uh, because of coronavirus, Mm. Uh, colleges in the US have been changing their policies. We don't yes. know whether those are permanent. So I can sort of go through what was the case before coronavirus. Yeah, great, thanks. Yeah, but, uh, you know, basically we have to, as counsellors, uh, college counsellors, we have to keep a very close tab on how things are changing and follow up on recent trends and so on because that's, that's part of the problem is that, uh, you know, very often you think you know exactly what's going on, but then U.S. colleges end up changing. <laughs> so, um, so basically, standardized testing in the U.S. They, it used to be the case that uh, very competitive universities would be asking for SAT, the SAT reasoning test, um, and an alternative to that would be the ACT, uh, and those are kind of very important for international students because they're considered a you know, when I said before that you need firm results, those are considered to be a good indicator of your ability to succeed at university. Um, 
And, uh, and for international students, that's important because very often admissions committees in the US don't know the school you're applying from. So, or they're not very sure about the predictive grades. They think there is very, you know, variation between teachers. And so they, you know, so, so one thing they look at is GCSEs, but then after that, they really, they really care about your SAT results uh, because of that. Um, because that gives them a very standard way of assessing you against other applicants from the US and elsewhere around the world. So that's the SAT reasoning test. And then on top of that, they were also asking for the SAT subject tests, which are in a way similar to A-levels, I would say slightly simpler than A-levels. And if you're a UK student, because you're doing A-levels already, to try to do, you know, subject tests in the same subjects yeah. if they're available is just kind of, it's not very difficult. So that bit of the standardized testing, and there's like a difference in curriculum slightly, but, um, and those are more knowledge-based tests. Okay. And that's their way of assessing whether a student is ready in what they claim they want to study, you know, in the subject they want to yeah. study. Um, and the scores that mm-hmm. are achievable on those standardized tests, does each college have a predefined level that they accept from or does it change every year it does change every year but there's a there's a so a lot of the universities in the u.s they release their yearly um uh sat averages basically and that data is updated every year so you need to look very carefully at that to see whether when you're making a list and i said you know if you're look, looking to apply to six seven universities yeah. uh for instance you have to you have to check that very carefully to see what students in the previous uh, year mm. achieved, and you have to make sure that you're sort of at least in the fiftieth percentile, if not higher. As an international student, I would say there's a higher burden. I mean, they they expect you to perform better mm. um, in a way in the standardized test. So you need to check that your SAT results are around. So when you're working with a student and they're beginning that shortlisting process or long listing process, do you advise? similar to the UK side, that mm-hmm. super ambitious choices, some more realistic choices, and then some insurance choices if things don't go to plan. Um, because then you've probably got about six choices by then anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yes, you absolutely have to do that. And uh, they, so, yes, I, I very much recommend that. Um, very often families come to me saying, we only want the top uh, you know, universities yeah. in the US and then our UK will be, uh, some of the UK ones will be insurance. And I, I make them sit down and think long and hard about whether they do want insurances in the US or not. Yeah. But then if you, if you approach the process like that, um, it is very likely that you end up not having any acceptances in the US if you go only for the very competitive ones. So I, I think Worst it's a case scenario. Idea, yeah. you know? So, how can a student listening to this improve their chances of uh, simplifying the process, first of all, but also improving their chances of getting an acceptance at, as long as they choose correctly? Um, there seems to be so many different variables within the process. How can you, top five tips of um, improving their chances? Uh, top five tips. Uh, tip number one, uh, inform yourself about the standardized tests know when to take them. Uh, Make sure you integrate that into your academic schedule, basically. Uh, Second tip is assume that your extracurricular activities are not sufficient. 
and uh, get involved, uh, sign up for more clubs or create your own club. Go out, find more work experiences that are related to your interests. Volunteer more. Uh, third one would be basically um, kind of work on your writing, really. Because by the time application essays come around, you, you need to be able to express who you are in a creative manner. Uh, uh, that mm. also, you know, so, so what I found is um, in the UK, students are excellent at academic writing, but they're not very good at expressing who they are. Yeah. Um, so that's a skill that you need to develop over time. Um, and uh, number five. Uh, <laughs> get started early. <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. So number five is uh, get started early. Don't leave it until uh, the summer before your last year. It sounds almost impossible to do it last minute, actually. Um, there's just too much volume to do. If you were to decide you wanted to go six, seven, eight months in advance, you, the odds are against you in that point. Uh, they, they really are, and guess why it's stressful, actually. And uh, that's the reason why I end up getting a lot of students in mm-hmm. year 11, for instance, year 11, beginning of year 12. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, that's really useful. Oi. Thanks so much for saying. Last question, just to finish off. Um, I'm sure there's no right or wrong answer here, but in your opinion, which is better? We get this question a lot. Um, Oxbridge or Ivy League? It really, uh, and I, uh, you know, it's such a cliched answer perhaps, but I want to say it depends because there are students who really want to stay focused on their, um, in their areas and they're not, they do not want to uh, explore other things. Yeah. If that's the case, I think Oxbridge is much better. But if you, if you want to, you know, combine different academic areas, you want to experiment, you want to try different things out before you decide on your major, then I think it's definitely the US. Great. Thanks very much, Oya. Um, that was Oya Christy Miller um, talking all things US college admissions. Thanks very much today. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. That was the Excellence in Education podcast by William Clarence Education. For more information on how we can help you or your family or any of the points discussed today, along with all the latest news and views on UK education, please head to the website www.williamclarence.com.